East Lawn Governance podcast. Middle East Lawn Governance is a journal for scholarly analysis, focusing on issues of governance and social, economic, and ideological transformation in the modern Middle East and North Africa. And this is our podcast. My name is Ezra Carmel, and today we are joined by Dr. Simon Mabin to talk with us about his work on sectarianism. Simon is a senior lecturer at Lancaster University. He is also the director of CPAD, the Sectarianism, Proxies, and Desectarianization Project, which looks at the ways in which the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran is shaping sectarianism and politics across the Middle East. In addition to numerous articles and co-authored books, he has written several monographs, including Saudi Arabia and Iran, Soft Power Rivalry in the Middle East, his newly published Houses Built on Sand, Violent Sectarianism and Revolution in the Middle East, and his forthcoming book, Struggling for Supremacy, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Simon, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Simon, you run your very own, very active uh, CPAD pod, but today I guess you get to try being on the other side of the mic. Yeah, it's quite a, a strange sensation, but one that I was very much looking forward to. So, so thank you for giving me the opportunity. No, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, so I provided a short introduction, uh, but would you like to provide listeners with a little background on yourself and your work? And maybe explain a little bit about how you ended up with your current research focus? Yeah, sure. Happy to. I mean, I started out my uh, my undergraduate career as a, as a philosophy major and got really interested in, in a whole range of things that have, have made a bit of a, a reappearance in my work more recently. My PhD was looking at the, the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran and how that was how that was playing out and, and trying to offer an analysis of how best we can conceptualize and, and understand it rather than predominantly being couched either in terms of, of pure power politics or indeed conversely purely about religion. And I tried to offer a slightly more nuanced take of, of the way in which the rivalry was playing out. But coming out of that, I realized that there's this a whole host of other interrelated forces that shape the ways in which Riyadh and Tehran can can shape regional politics and in, in their own images, and I got increasingly interested in in uh, social contracts and in, in the way in which sovereign power operated, and as a consequence in in sectarianism, which I think is a really prominent part of all of these different aspects, and so we um, were fortunate enough to get some money from Carnegie Corporation to run CEPAD and. We've, we've spent a lot of time with some wonderful colleagues looking at different ways of, of understanding the intersection of geopolitical dynamics. And by that, I mean the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran, but also the, the local, uh, intimately tiny aspects of everyday life, which often are, are understood through this lens of sectarianism, which, as, um, as some of our fellows have noted, especially Fanal Haddad, this is deeply problematic. So... That was where I got increasingly interested once again in the, the philosophical aspects about political life, the regulation of life uh, and sovereign power. And this is what ultimately prompted me to to, to write the piece that, that ended up being published in Middle East Law and Governance. Great. Well, that's a, a much more interesting introduction than the one I gave for <laughs> you. Uh, so in the article you published in the Middle East Law and Governance Journal entitled Sectarian Games, Sovereign Power, War Machines, and Regional Order in the Middle East, uh, you explore the ways sect-based difference serve a biopolitical role as a tool of sovereign power and, as a consequence, the way in which sect-based identities can operate as Delusian war machines against the state. 
Um, the article builds on an expansive literature on sectarianism, and I was wondering if you'd be able to provide us with an overview of the prevalent uh, currents, approaches to sectarianism in that literature. Sure, yeah. Uh, I mean, there are, there are people who've done a much better job of this than I uh, have, namely someone like Morton Valbion, whose piece Beyond the Beyonds is absolutely wonderful in, in documenting and mapping out these these very clear uh, distinct parts of the literature on sectarianism, but I guess you'd you predominantly say, look, there are there are a number of different camps in the debate on sectarian politics. One is to say that that sectarianism is purely a consequence of ancient hatreds, this um, this primordialist account, if you will. The opposite is to say that that sect based difference is a consequence of the instrumentalized use of religion. Uh, by by regimes, by elites, by entrepreneurs, as as someone like Toby Matheson has has um, written about, and then the third camp would be the the constructivist position that says, well, look, it's it's actually a little bit more nuanced than both of those, and that identity is malleable, that it's constructed over time, that it's internalized, and as as Rogers Brubaker acknowledges, we're all moving towards that constructivist camp. And I guess that's where I fall into into these debates. And what I'm trying to do in this article, and indeed the book that you kindly mentioned, is to is to say, look, yeah, there are these debates. And yes, I would suggest that we are all sort of coalescing around this constructivist position. But we don't yet know exactly how the different processes of mobilization, manipulation, internalization take place. And one of the things that I think is really important is to look at how sect-based communities, groups, identities are positioned within political projects, how they are regulated, how states and regimes in particular seek to use them, to mobilize them, to uh, to co-opt them, to challenge them, to marginalize them. Because these, these identities have a great deal of stickiness or, or resonance. They're very powerful identities. Sometimes they fall neatly in line with, with political projects run by states, but other times they, they are actually quite challenging to those political projects. And that's what I try to do in the, in the piece. I should say that the, the title of the piece is a bit of a play on, a, on an Indian novel by a, a chap called uh, Vikram Chandra called Sacred Games. And in it, he talks about the, the way in which religion is, is mobilised how it plays a prominent role within political projects and how it's how it's i guess manipulated by people whilst faith continues to resonate across society and as i was reading it it struck me that that's that's a really interesting way of looking at it and that there's a great deal of similarity in terms of a level of abstraction of course so i i thought that i would try and honor that book which is now one of my favorites with a slight play on the title, rather than Sacred Games, Sectarian Games. Ah, very interesting. And very helpful both in providing a lay of the literature and in situating yourself within it. Um, one of the parts of your articles that I found most interesting, and also maybe most challenging, was how you draw on Agamben's work on sovereign power, as well as uh, Deleuze and Guattari's concept of the war machine. It clearly draws from your philosophy background, but I was, was hoping you could explain how the application of these authors' ideas is beneficial to studying sectarianism in the Middle East. I can certainly give it a shot. I think uh, Giorgio Agamben, for me, he's incredibly useful, but he's also um, 
an incredibly impregnable philosopher whose canon of work is is vast. It's incredibly challenging, and whilst incredibly rewarding at the same time, it's it's quite difficult to get into. And it took me a a long time to scratch the surface of of what he's trying to do. But ultimately, what he's concerned with is is how how sovereign power seeks to to operate and to to regulate life, to control life. He's he's building on the work of Michel Foucault, whose whose biopolitical project he sets out to complete. Uh, there's a the whole debate between Foucault and and Agamben intellectually across different books about this biopolitics and and what biopolitics means. And I'm not getting into that, but what I am saying is that that I think ideas of sovereign power are are incredibly important when we're looking at the contemporary Middle East because for for Gambon, what he's interested in is is the manipulation of legal and political structures to ensure the survival of particular states. And he's predominantly focused on on the Western world. He draws on the example of 9-11 and the the Patriot Act, which which gave the Bush administration the, the ability to do whatever it needed to do in, in a time of crisis, this state of emergency, the declaration of martial law. And he says that, that that's a, a fundamental technology of power, if you will. It's a fundamental means through which a regime or a state is able to regulate life. And through doing that, then it is able to, um, to abandon particular individuals or groups it, it sort of abandons them from political projects, yet they remain included through this inclusion, uh, through this exclusion. And by that, what he's meaning is that these individuals or groups are included in the political project because they are forced to obey the laws of the state and the regulations of the state and the norms of, of political authority, but they are excluded because they're not given the protection themselves. So... It, it's an interesting and, and complex way of, of looking at how power regulates life. And he sets this out across, well, I think it's nine different books. So I must apologize to, to any Agamben scholars for trying to butcher his ideas in the space of about a minute. But I think that's the, that's the most simplistic way of putting his argument, that he is concerned with the regulation of life. And it's done through the manipulation of, of laws and it's done through abandoning individuals, pushing them to the margins of society whilst still forcing them to obey the laws of the state. And I think that's where it's really interesting to look at ideas of, of sectarianism and sectarian communities, because if we, if we trace the history of particular political projects, we can see that, that regimes have long been concerned about the, the possible power of, of sect-based identities. And if you look at the cases of, of Iraq and Bahrain that I do in the article, you can see that there's a long history of trying to, to exclude uh, particular communal groups from certain aspects of society. So in Iraq, of course, it was the, the sense of excluding Shia Muslims from the upper echelons of the army and, and pushing them to the boundaries of the state whereby they, they lacked the same level of protection and uh, and benefits and welfare that that other groups received, and that's certainly the case in in Bahrain as well. Uh, interesting, and I'm I'm gratified to hear that I'm not the only one that has found his work complicated. It really is, yeah. Uh, and what about on the other side with uh, Deleuze and Guattari's concept of the war machine? So 
So I, I find that really interesting because that that seems to go at times against Agamben's ideas to suggest that there are efforts to counter sovereign power. And one of the reasons that I thought this was really interesting is because Agamben's project has, has regularly been criticised for not including agency. He suggests that once you've been um, abandoned by the state, and he, he talks about this concept of bare life, once you've been abandoned by the state and you're caught up in this condition of bare life, then then that's it. You're, you're almost sort of having to accept your condition. And that, that doesn't really allow for much agency. What Deleuze and Guattari do quite well, I think, is they offer an account of how agency operates contrary to sovereign power, that they try and, and offer a different means of ordering life. And I guess that's that's what I'm trying to do here, that and say that these these identities, these sect-based identities, have the capacity simultaneously to be a source of regulatory power and through their inclusion in, in biopolitical projects, then they can be a source of, of regulation. But conversely, and, and perhaps also simultaneously, they have the capacity to challenge the, the organisational structures of the state because of their stickiness, because of their resonance, because of their capacity to, to mobilise relatively large numbers of, of people. Uh, well, that's a great overview of some of the theoretical concepts that you use in the article. Uh, and you mentioned Iraq and Bahrain earlier, and I was hoping you could maybe speak a little to, to how the concepts can be uh, applied in these contexts. So I think I think Bahrain's a really devastating example. And I'll, I'll talk about Bahrain if I may, because yeah, I think that, that gives you a really good sense of how a sovereign can regulate life. Great. And... And the Bahrain case is, is is pretty devastating in terms of the way in which the the ruling regime has managed to regulate all aspects of political life and eviscerate all forms of of political dissent. Initially, be, beginning with with Shia groups in the early months of of twenty eleven, which the regime did a very clever job of framing as a consequence of of operating as a consequence of nefarious. Iranian activities uh, and agendas, the regime sought to, to frame all Shia groups as subversive, as, as individuals that were trying to topple the regime. And so they framed it in such a way that, that sought to exclude them from, from all aspects of public and private life. A number were, were made unemployed, as the, the Basuni Independent Commission Inquiry Report documents and also, you had examples of, of medics who were who were prosecuted for treating uh, Shia activists who were on the streets at this time. Now, over the over the following years, you've seen that that prominent political figures, um, former politicians, the leader of Al Wafaq, the the largest Shia opposition party, and also prominent members of parliament such as Jawad and Jalal Firuz. Have had their uh, had their nationality stripped. They've been arrested and placed in jail and charged with with espionage. And so I think this just is is such a powerful way in which the Bahraini regime has managed to regulate Shia political expression. And by doing that, by eviscerating all forms of Shia expression, they've created a position where they have have removed one of the main sources of potential uh, discontent 
and and unrest and so th- that that way of regulating life by by stripping political meaning from from elites from leaders from uh, from ordinary individuals who are trying to express agency has had a, a devastating impact on on civil society and political engagement across Bahrain but in the years following maybe 2014 2015 the the regime has also turned to to regulating other groups that have threatened to pose a threat to to the state including for example the muslim brotherhood who played a very important role in the the early years of the arab uprisings in countering shia groups and they were supported by the state at this point so there's a i think a really good example here of how sovereign power is used as a regulatory tool to try and prevent particular identities from emerging, from becoming more powerful, and ultimately from threatening and challenging regimes in particular ways. So that's that's how I think Agamben's work is really useful here. And I explore it in the article, but I also explore it across the region in um, in the book that you kindly mentioned, Houses Built on Sand. Great. Well, that certainly helped me to understand the application of the concepts a bit better, and hopefully it'll also make it clearer for listeners, or at least pique their interest enough that they'll read the article. Hopefully. Well, Simon, thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure and very interesting. My pleasure. Thank you again for having me. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And thank you to everyone who listened in. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Middle East Law and Governance Podcast. <laughs>